Turn with me then in your Bibles to the book of Judges. We got to Judges chapter 9, and we're now going to hear from God's Word together. And as we get ready to do that, let's pray. Our Father God, we do uh, thank you for your Word. We pray it will be powerfully at work in us this morning by your Holy Spirit, as we've just been singing in Jesus' name. Amen. So, friends, the book of Judges, chapter 9, and beginning at verse 1. Let's hear God's Word. Now Abimelech, the son of Jeroboam, went to Shechem to his mother's relatives and said to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, say in all the years of all the leaders, in the years of all the leaders of Shechem, which is better for you that all 70 of the sons of Jeroboam rule over you or that one rule over you? Remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. And his mother's relative spoke all these words on his behalf in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem, and their hearts inclined to follow Abimelech, for they said, he is our brother. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver out of the house of Baal Bereth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows who followed him. And he went to his father's house at Ophir and killed his brothers, the sons of Jeroboam, 70 men on one stone. But Jotham, the youngest son of Jeroboam, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all at Beth Milo. And they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them, and they said to the olive tree, reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, shall I leave my abundance by which gods and men are honored and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the fig tree, you come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit and go hold sway over the trees? And the tree said to the vine, you come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, Shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, You come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, If in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. Now, therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt with Jeroboam well and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, 70 men on one stone, and have made Abimelech, the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jeroboam and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. But if not... Let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to Beer and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. 
And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem. And the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jeroboam might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech, their brother, who killed them, and on the men of Shechem, who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along that way. And it was told to Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives, and the leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gael, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jeroboam? And is not Zabul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, increase your army and come out. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gael, the son of Ebed, he, his anger was kindled, and he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gael, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now, therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, rise early and rush upon the city, and when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds to do. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gael, the son of Ebed, went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city. And Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gael saw the people, he said to Zebul, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul said to him, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for men. Gael spoke again and said, look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, where is your mouth now, you who said, who is Abimelech, that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gael went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Aramah, and Zebul drove out Gael and his relatives, so they could not dwell at Shechem. On the following day, the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told... He took his people and divided them into three companies and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city, so he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he raised the city and sowed it with salt. When all the leaders of the tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elbereth. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went out to Mount Zalman, he and all the people with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I've done. So every one of the people cut down his bundle and followed Abimelech, put it against the stronghold, and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. 
Then Abimelech went to Thebes and encamped against Thebes and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city, and all the men and women, all the leaves of the city fled to it and shut themselves in, and they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young man, his armor-bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. And upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jeroboam. In the 1990s, in a country in Africa called Rwanda, violence broke out. There had long been tribal tensions between the Hutus and the Tutsis. But the government, in its wisdom, decided to fan those tribal tensions into aggression. It was premeditated, government-led murder. They sent out messages through the radio waves to the far corners of Rwanda, calling on the Hutu people to kill the Tutsis, and they did, with clubs and machetes. Witnesses at the time say that the river that uh, flew into Lake Victoria became crammed with bodies drifting down. What makes that history particularly interesting is that that country and that whole region of Africa, those of us who know the history of revival in Africa, that whole region was the center of what was known as the East African Revival. And the murder of Tutsis took place in schools and churches. I got to know a man called Eddie who grew up in Rwanda and fled the devastation. He became a Christian and a real born-again Christian. He went back to Rwanda to set up a movement of reconciliation between the, uh, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And one time I asked him, in all this chaos and blood and violence, was there not at least one story that you knew that was positive? And he relayed to me the following event, which I'm not sure whether it is positive as such, but it is at least hmm, more encouraging, or at least on the plus side of the ledger. In one church at the time, the congregation was gathered, a congregation of Hutus and Tutsis. 
and the murdering henchman turned up at the church and tell the congregation to divide into Hutus and Tutsis. And they refused. They then again said, if you don't divide, we'll kill you all. Split off into separate groups. We'll kill all of you if you don't separate into your tribal differences. And the pastor of the church got up and spoke to the murdering henchman and said, Here there are no Hutu and Tutsi. We are all washed under the blood of Jesus. And the murdering henchman proceeded to kill them. And we know the story because a few survived. We live in a world of not only simmering tensions, but overt violence. There's aggression in our cities. There's verbal bullying that takes place in social media. as a cultural war that some people fear might actually spill over into a real civil war, perhaps. So as we look at this book of Judges, and particularly this chapter 9, we think to ourselves, why on earth would God record such a thing in his holy word? The answer is to tell us where a godless society leads. Abimelech, you may remember, his name means uh, my father is the king, and he now grabbed the reins of power and became an autocratic dictatorial ruler. And the kind of rule he envisioned and enacted was not around God of the covenant or the Lord, but around Baal, great irony. Their God is now called Baal Bereth, Bereth meaning covenant. They have a covenant, but it's around the pagan gods, not around the Lord God. And the Lord in his word is showing us where that leads to school us, to teach us a better way. Throughout this passage, we have power that corrupts, but that peace comes from God. And there are different ways, no doubt, to dividing this passage. In my mind, as I look at it, I see there are four kinds of power that corrupts here. There's the power that corrupts family, then society. Uh, then friendship, and then finally justice. Though when we get to that part, it will be, or does it corrupt justice in the end? And all along we'll be seeing that peace comes from God. First, power corrupts family. This, of course, is the astonishing story at the beginning where Abimelech, 
murders his brothers and then seeks to set up his own rule through that murderous activity. And Jotham, the one brother who escapes, denounces what he has done through this remarkable parable, a parable that becomes prophetic by the end, as we will see. The family, many of us, I think particularly in the western suburbs of Chicago, are family people. And yet there are tensions in family. And where does peace come from in family? Let me illustrate it this way. The, I don't know whether you come across the Abilene Paradox. The Abilene Paradox, uh, imagine a burning hot day in Texas. It's over 100 degrees. It's really, maybe that isn't hot for Texas. Maybe it's over 120. You get the point. It's hot. And Grandpa is sitting on the porch, and he says, wondering out loud, why don't we go to the store and pick up some ice cream? And Grandma says, sure, why not? And so they all get in their truck with all the grandchildren, Grandpa and Grandma, and they drive. It's a long way away, the store. It's half an hour, 45 minutes, and the truck doesn't have air conditioning. By the time they get to the store, they're like roasting hot, and then they get the ice cream, and the ice cream's not much to shout about. In fact, it isn't great. And by the time they get it outside and they start to eat the ice cream, it melts all over their hands. And, and then, then they drive back to their house another 30 minutes, 45 minutes in the truck, burning hot Texas, mid-August sun, over 120 degrees. And they sit down on the porch, and Grandpa says, why on earth did we go get some ice cream? And Grandma says, we went because you wanted to go. That's why we went. And Grandpa says, I didn't want to go. I just wondered why we wouldn't go. I thought the grandchildren would want to go. And the grandchildren says, we didn't want to go. And they look at each other. And that's the Abilene paradox. How on earth did they manage to end up doing something that none of them wanted to do? Maybe Abimelech had been on one too many ice cream trips. What is the solution to our family tensions? Well, the pattern in the Bible is a simple one. Jesus is Lord. The husband is to serve his family with self-sacrificial love. The wife is to respect and honor her husband. The children are to follow their parents as the parents do what is best for their children. That's the pattern. Jesus at the heart of things. How about this week? Instead of catching another Netflix movie or whatever it is that you do, open the Bible, pray, and bring Jesus back into the heart of your family, for your marriage, for your children. For your grandchildren. Power corrupts uh, family. Second, power corrupts society. You can see this, and it runs throughout the story, of course, but particularly in verses 22 to 25. 
the prophetic word of Jotham is beginning to be being fulfilled as Shechem and Abimelech turn on each other and undermine each other's position. The unrighteous way that that, um, um, Abimelech has got his position creates a moral tone in the society that is bound to lead to political maneuvering. And so it proves. But it's not only a natural consequence. It's also something that God in his sovereignty initiates. And power corrupts society too. How we are seeing that today. There's an irony here in that the leaders of Shechem literally is the Bailey of Shechem. So their ideology around Baal, the pagan ideology, is now being represented in how the leaders or the Bailey are acting. When you remove God from society... What it leads to is not a utopian age. What it leads to is immorality, which leads to violence in the end. When I listen to Christians and trying to hear carefully what kind of questions Christians are asking these days, one of the questions that I think is under the table in a lot of the conversations that I listen to and try to pay attention to, is what on earth is going on in our society these days? What is happening? And people try to trace the dots in different ways. There are different pieces of data, and they try and create a picture, a pattern. If you trace the dots, the data points, of what is happening in our society and you trace them together, the picture that will emerge, if you do it right in your mind, is of a naked fist. Power. When God is not at the center of things, when God is not at the heart of things, human power asserts itself. And how different is Jesus? who's the servant king. And how different must Christians be who are called to be salt and light in the world with kindness and compassion, not pushovers for sure, but love, not a will to power, not that. Power corrupts society, it corrupts family, and it also corrupts friendship. Now this, again, there are different ways of dividing up this passage, I'm sure, but it's the way I do it. It it goes from verse 26, I think, to around verse 41. And as uh, the story is told in this part, there are a number of different elements to it that are quite subtle and very revealing. And I won't won't, uh, get into them all in detail, but I'll, I'll I'll do enough so that you can look at them further in your own time so you can see them. 
Essentially what's going on here is Gael is trying to usurp Abimelech from, from Shechem. And to do that, he must have had the position of Zebul, who's the officer and the commander of that city, as, as a friendship. But Gael begins to get a big head and has this drunken party and boasts that he's going to wipe off the face of the planet, Abimelech. And his friend, Zebul, turns on him and pretends that the message that he has secretly given to Abimelech. So Abimelech gathers his forces. Uh, when, when Gale starts to notice the, these people, verse 36, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. Zebul deceives him. You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men so that Gale's not ready for the war and is in the end, of course, killed. Imagine you're at work. And person X is known to be a friend with boss Y. And person X one day comes to you and says, boss Y is going to do such and such. And I've encouraged him to do it. And I've, I've set him up to do it. And he's going to go ahead and do it. But I'll tell you this, he will fail. And that means I'll get boss Y's job. That sort of thing. Power corrupts friendship. One of the evidences of the way that our society and our even in church life is fragmenting around different ideologies is the undermining of friendships. How many people are there who have real friends anymore. So many of our relationships are for another purpose. They are, what's the phrase? Transactional friendships. You get to know a certain person that they, you might have a deal. You, you build relationship with another person and you bank that so that one point or other you might be able to leverage that relationship for some other purpose. But friendships are not for another purpose. The purpose of friendship is the friend. That's it. The purpose of a friendship is to have a friendship. I sometimes wonder whether our whole concept of networking is to blame. Now, I admit there's probably a place for networking, and in some sense, it's normal human behavior to get to know people and, and all the rest. There's probably a place for it. I'm the worst networker on the face of the planet, by the way, and sometimes I wish I had better small talk. Those of you who know me will probably wish I had better small talk, too. It doesn't take long before I'm talking about theology and God. It's like, let's talk about the weather, Josh, but no, no, I, I have to get down to something important. There's probably a place for networking. But how often does our tendency to want to build a network really mean an excuse to use people for our own end? For what I want. Power corrupts friendship, too. 
And then finally, and most amazingly, power corrupts justice. Or as you look at this end of the story, you have to ask yourself whether it really does or not. So from verse 42 to the end, you'll see that now Abimelech, as the king, is trying to exact justice, but he does it in the most barbarous and butcherous way. He goes after Shechem and he attacks the city and he raises the city and sows it with salt, which means he utterly destroys it. That's what that phrase means. And then they gather in the tower of Shechem and then he burns it to the ground and a thousand men and women are killed. And then he goes off to Thebes and tries to do the same thing. Why he goes to Thebes, I don't know. And I, I don't think anyone knows, but there may be some theory out there. Perhaps Thebes was somehow a part of the Shechem consortium or maybe Abimelech was just on a roll of violence, like sort of Conan the Barbarian going out to butcher yet more people. Anyway, he goes to Thebes and there's another tower and he tries to do the same trick burning them inside and a woman gets a millstone throws it on his head crushes his skull and his armor bearer kills him he's meant to be a, a judge a ruler a justice and yet he the power fetish that he is worshiping Baal which of course means master power The power fetish that he is worshipping undermines any kind of real justice. Or does it? Because, of course, the fire that consumes Shechem and, in the end, inadvertently consumes him is a direct fulfillment of Jotham's prophecy. And so the lesson that the author of Judges tells us we're meant to learn, verse 56, thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his 70 brothers, and God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads. God's justice will pertain. You may think this is harsh. But then look in the eyes of the victim of abuse or rape or the fatherless orphan. Will not the God of all the earth do what is right? One day justice will come. And not only one day, that will be the final fulfillment of God being the justice, but the wrath of God is being revealed against all the unrighteousness of this world right now. If you listen, as I have, not only to the victims of injustice and the pain they bear but also to those who have victimized others you will know that as the phrase is sin is its own reward and the evildoer though of course rightly to be judged if not repentant 
experiences in the end the evil in his own life that he has done to others. The fire that an Abimelech brings to Shechem in the end will burn his own house down. But in a sense, that's the easy part of this passage. Sinclair Ferguson once said, and I won't get his quotation exactly right, but the sentence went along these lines. It's easy to expose sin, much harder to unveil and apply grace. God in his wisdom puts the book of Judges in our Bible and this chapter 9 in our Bible so that we might, as it were, not only be put in a pit of the reality of what happens when we reject God and how the power will corrupt friendships and society and family and even justice it seems, until God puts it right. Not only put us in the pit of that kind of darkness, but from the pit and its darkness, then to look up to the stars above of grace and see them shine with much greater brightness. For the king we need is not another Abimelech, but King Jesus. Not a human king, but the Lord Jesus. Jesus, who did not get his own way by killing others, but came to save others and did it by killing himself. That, my friends, is the great hope for friendships and society and churches and families. And to that end, let us pray. Lord God, thank you for this passage. We pray, Father, that our families, our friends, our friendships, our society would be filled with your grace and mercy. We pray, Lord, that we would shine like stars in a dark world, holding out the word of life. We pray, Father, that you would have mercy on uh, these in these days. We pray, Lord, that your gospel would make progress in our own lives and in the lives of this church and this city. In Jesus' name, amen.